Welcome to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. Today is Sunday, February 11th, day 128 of the war with Hamas. Amanda Borchel-Dan here with our military reporter, Emmanuel Fabian. Hi, Manny. Hi, Amanda. We will hear about Manny's latest trip into Gaza City, in which he was shown a massive subterranean data center located under an UNRWA aid facility. We will learn about what caused the death of hostage Yossi Sharabi following an IDF investigation. And we'll hear about what we know about the IDF's next goal, conquering Rafah. All this and much, much more when we're back. Do you or your clients have a commercial collection matter that's going nowhere? The Sarachuk Law Firm specializes in the most challenging collection matters, whether it is a single matter or a portfolio of cases. They are based in New York with relationships around the world. Sarachuk's proprietary databases and tried and proven methods have earned them an unmatched reputation for success in getting their clients what they're owed. They work on a contingency fee basis, so they're only compensated when they succeed. The Sarachek Law Team strongly supports Israel. You can reach the Sarachek Team at www.sarachecklawfirm.com. That's S-A-R-A-C-H-E-K lawfirm.com or at 646-403-9775. The proceeding is an attorney advertisement and past results are no guarantee of future performance. A subterranean data center, complete with an electrical room, industrial battery-powered banks, and living quarters for Hamas terrorists operating the computer servers, was discovered beneath the Gaza Strip headquarters of the United Nations Agency for Palestinian Refugees, the controversial aid organization known commonly as UNRWA. That in itself is outstanding, obviously, but I was actually surprised about where we got the information of the site from. Who told us about it? I think that is one of the most significant parts of this story and this this discovery is that Israel uh, and the army had already been uh, in the area of this UNRWA headquarters. It had already been in uh, the Rimal neighborhood of Gaza City. Uh, It had captured it, dismantled the Hamas battalion in the area, battled terrorists and then withdrawn its troops from the area. This was a few months ago. Uh, And now um, this has been revealed and this was thanks to captured uh, terror suspects and other Palestinians who were interrogated by the Shin Bet. uh, And they essentially gave up or provided the information of where the army needed to dig to find this uh, hidden data center. The army knew some information, I don't think enough, where where this was or what exactly was um, being uh, uh, stored underground there, and really thanks to this uh, these interrogations and as well as some other material the army found in Gaza, some maps and and uh, computers that they had found in other areas gave the location of this underground site. Give us some of the scope of its importance to the Hamas operation in Gaza. Uh, according to the army officials that that gave us the tour of this facility, it is one of the most significant Hamas assets, and it was very well hidden. I mean, like I said, not only did they know about it until now, but even operating there in Gaza months ago didn't find it, didn't know anything about it. And this was very, very well hidden under the UNRWA headquarters. In this facility, which had 
sort of this living quarters area where the Hamas IT staff and intelligence staff were, were able to stay down there and manage the servers. There was meeting rooms, uh, bathrooms, two bathrooms, actually, not just one. And it was all very, it was built to a higher standard than the usual tunnels that we've seen. We're talking about um, uh, proper tiled floors and tiled walls and painted ceilings. There's air conditioning down there. And then there's uh, this electrical room, which is uh, nearby to this data center. There's some very expensive equipment in there and large um, industrial batteries uh, so that if anything happens, if there's a power cut, then the systems can continue running. And I'm sure anyone who has worked in high tech understands that to run uh, a massive data center, you need quite a lot of power. And to basically run this thing uh, off the grid if there were to be a power cut, you need a lot of batteries and a lot of power and a lot of expensive equipment. And the data center itself, we're talking about at least half a dozen uh, server cabinets, each filled with uh, with uh, server uh, computers. Uh, and these were running all sorts of things that the army is now investigating. They've taken a lot of these computers and hard drives back to Israel uh, so they can uh, extract all the relevant information from them. But this is a facility that has existed for years. It's not something brand new that was suddenly placed there. Uh, it has existed there for a while, and really one of one of the more significant uh, Hamas intelligence capabilities that they have or had. So then the question is, of course, has the UNRWA facility also existed there for years, and would they have known about the digging of this massive complex that you're talking about? You know, honestly, I've, I I saw UNRWA's, the head of UNRWA's response to this to this finding, and he said that UNRWA, UNRWA had no idea. I do not think that is true. There's just no way that uh, they didn't know that this existed beneath them. Both both sites have existed for years. The at least the the facility underneath, at least a decade, is what some uh, army officials estimated. Um, it's not anything that was built within the last few months, and uh, it's not only that. You know, this this tunnel was being dug directly underneath the headquarters, and I'm sure they heard the digging. It would not surprise me if someone knew, uh, and the staff there knew, but there's more to it. The underground uh, Hamas site was actually linked to the UNRWA headquarters by cables, so the uh, Hamas data center is directly beneath the UNRWA server room, where they have their communications and internet, and from this... Uh, UNRWA server room, there's cables that go directly down to the floor, into the ground, and connect to the Hamas data center. They were connecting off of the, you know, the facilities above for electricity uh, and for uh, internet, and so it was directly connected. Also, in the other UNRWA offices in the area, the army found weapons, which uh, Hamas had been using when, when they had taken over the complex after UNRWA had left, but they also found various documents which indicated that some of the officers were used by Hamas officials as well, not only by uh, UNRWA staff, or that some UNRWA staff were also Hamas. We know that there were at least 12 uh, UNRWA staff who participated in the October 7th uh, massacre. So there's really a direct link. We should note that there is no entrance to the tunnel network from the UNRWA facility, and that's where Hamas um, was actually a bit smart about it. They had the entrance at a nearby school, also an UNRWA school, but it was beneath the school where they had the entrance and they actually blocked that off so the army had to find another way into this. And there was no entrance in the UNRWA, in the actual UNRWA facility apart from the tunnels that the army then later dug to uncover it, which shows that Hamas 
um, essentially hid it underneath the UNRWA um, headquarters and entered it from another area. And then it was able to basically protect itself there. And if Israel would have known about it in a previous uh, conflict or war, there was no way Israel would target it. First of all, there's obviously it's complicated to be able to to collapse a tunnel that is also beneath a very large building. But again, Israel's not going to target the UNRWA headquarters. There's no leg- legitimacy to carry out such a strike. Um, and it was really just Hamas placed this very secretive and very significant facility precisely where Israel would not look and definitely not target. These cables that you were describing that connect between the servers from this underground warren and the UNRWA servers, and it connects to the internet and all of that kind of stuff, is that visible to the eye or is it something that perhaps only the UNRWA IT person knew about? I think that anybody who uh, was working in, in the UNRWA facility would have at least heard the tunnel digging and the Hamas operations underground. And definitely those in the IT room would have known that there are uh, cables <laughs> connecting below ground. Another interesting thing is that, uh, at least in the in the Hamas data center, pretty much all of the um, uh, equipment was left as it was. Hamas uh, blocked off the entrance, presuming, and I think rightfully so in some way, that, that Israel wouldn't find it. It did take Israel a very long time to find this facility. Whereas in the UNRWA UNRWA server room, which is above ground and where they assumed Israel would reach and search, um, the server cabinet there was stripped of all the computers. So the server cabinet was empty. Uh, All the security cameras and the DVRs, uh, which record all of the security camera footage, were all taken down. Um, cables that were running uh, from uh, various, uh, you know, the, the cameras and, and also down below ground, many of them were cut. So apparently Hamas, and I believe this Hamas are not UNRWA staff because UNRWA had already evacuated, Hamas went into the UNRWA headquarters and cut all the cables and uh, removed the cameras and the DVRs and all the computing uh, equipment that was there because they knew that Israel would reach that kind of area and they wanted to hide the evidence. Whereas the underground site, they just blocked it off, hoping that Israel would never find it. And it really did take quite a while for Israel to, to locate this. Many. what else did you see in Gaza City that you can share with us? We didn't see much else uh, in, in Gaza City apart from um, uh, the, the UNRWA complex. We were in the UNRWA complex itself as well, uh, above ground. Um, and it was very interesting to see exactly where the tunnel, where we were previously, where the tunnel led uh, led to. Um, and um, yeah, there was, it was a very long tunnel, about 700 meters in total. Uh, some of it was flooded uh, from rainwater because of the combat engineers digging to reach the tunnel. They basically made new holes and some parts were collapsing. Um, and it was quite a humid labyrinth as well because all the Hamas air filtration systems had been disabled um, for you know during the army's operations there. Everything was disconnected. Earlier last week, you also reported on another tunnel complex, which was used for holding hostages, which is in itself another feat of uh, engineering that was so expensive, I'm sure, to create too. Yeah, so that tunnel is in Khan Yunus, and, and uh, that was a tunnel that uh, had been previously used by uh, senior Hamas officials to hide, uh, according to the army, and then later had been sort of converted uh, into a hostage-holding uh, tunnel. That one is similar in the, de- in the design to the one um, uh, I visited on Thursday, which is 
uh, with uh, you know floor tiles and wall tiles and and painted ceilings and it's a bit wider uh, and the sort of tunnel that Hamas um, put a lot more resources and money into um, uh, to basically build these to a much higher standard uh, and as well very deep underground both of them the one that we uh, uh, that we visited on Thursday and the one that the IDF uncovered in Khanunas are about 20 meters underground. What will be the fate of these tunnels, Manny? Will they be destroyed? The one that you were just talking about, the hostage tunnel, was connected to another hostage tunnel that we discussed earlier. Are they basically going to just blast all of them and collapse them? Or what's the plan? Do you know? They will. I think they already have done with those two. The one we visited after we had visited it that same night, they blew it up as well using various um, uh, various methods that the army has to blow up tunnels and collapse them, uh, trying to cause as little damage as possible to the above to the buildings above. Uh, above the the tunnel in the UNRWA area, some of the passage actually goes below two very high-rise towers, at least 14 or 15 floors uh, in Rimal neighborhood. It's a big, very, uh, very big apartment blocks. So there's, there's obviously a careful way of doing it without causing... Um, uh, significant damage to the surrounding areas. Um, but yeah, they are investigated, they are documented, the army takes all the evidence it can from it and uh, brings in some cases reporters to take a look at it uh, and then demolishes it. And this is, the army is going to do this with all the sort of significant tunnels that they find in Gaza. We'll go to a short break. The world we live in isn't perfect, but it doesn't get better on its own. That's where the work of activists comes in. Whether it's environmental justice, animal rights, or disability advocacy, there are people all around the world striving to make it a better place. That's where All About Change comes in. Host Jay Ruderman talks with activists about how they do what they do and what inspires them to keep going. Because activism is all about change. Listen to All About Change wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. The next stage of the first stage of the war is conquering Rafah. And our Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu was interviewed by the U.S. television station ABC. And he said there, we are going to get the remaining Hamas terrorist battalions in Rafah, which is the last battalion. Those who say that under no circumstances should we enter Rafah are basically saying, lose the war. Keep Hamas there. So in the meantime, Netanyahu has told the IDF to evacuate the population. But of course, where should the 1.3 plus million people go? It's a great question. And Netanyahu has actually, as you said, asked the army to sort of find a solution. Um, because Israel ca- uh, cannot basically win this war without defeating the remaining Hamas battalions in Rafah. Uh, there are four there under the uh, Rafah Brigade um, of, of Hamas. Um, and um, really why it's so critical is because it, uh, Rafah borders Egypt and Israel has uh, repeatedly accused uh, Hamas of uh, smuggling in its weaponry from from Egypt or via Egypt, um, either through tunnels or through uh, the actual crossing. So Israel does need to reach that area uh, and dismantle the Hamas battalion there and, and hold the border to prevent Hamas from ever um, re-establishing its military capabilities. The problem is, uh, well, there's really two problems. One is there's at least 1.3 million uh, Palestinians currently in the Rafah area. 
um, they will need to be moved out. Um, as far as I can personally think, there's only two areas where they could go to. Uh, one is back to northern Gaza, um, which right now is a bit difficult because the army is still operating there, like we saw with the UNRWA, uh, the tunnel under UNRWA that is in northern Gaza. Uh, so it may uh, there may be some time where the army is no longer needing to operate there and it can allow people to move back to northern Gaza. But of course, at the same time, checking that uh, Hamas fighters are not going along with them. Uh, the other area could be Khan Yunus. If the army finishes its operations in Khan Yunus, they could be moved there as well, um, which is a shorter distance at least. So it's uh, less of a, a schlep uh, for the civilians who need to, to move out the way again. Um, and I'll note that the third option, which is not going to happen, is, is, uh, is to Egypt. Egypt will uh, not allow Palestinian refugees to uh, to flee into their country. They've um, publicly have uh, shown uh, quite a lot of uh, disagreement with Israel's plans to to take Rafah, um, knowing that it will cause a an influx of refugees on the border. Uh, so this has to be done with with Egyptian uh, coordination, which is really the second uh, the second reason why this isn't happening now. Until Israel can get Egypt on board and agree and also to have the Palestinians move to a safer area, um, this the Rafah operation will probably not happen as of yet, even though Netanyahu has been ordering the army to carry it out. Last week, the IDF presented its investigation into the death of hostage Yossi Sharabi in the Gaza Strip to his family. And it seems like, according to the IDF's probe, Sharabi was likely killed as a result of an IDF strike. Yes, yeah, so um, Sharabi is so far the f- the first hostage that Israel at least is admitting with a very high chance that uh, he was killed by Israeli action, by an Israeli strike. Um, we know that Hamas have claimed um, several, at least around 60 hostages have been killed in Israeli strikes, although many many of these claims are, are not true and Israel has actually confirmed otherwise. Um, but at least in Sharabi's case, um, the IDF says that its probe um, found that the army struck a building close to the building where um, Sharabi and two other hostages were held. Um, and that caused the building where the hostages were in to collapse uh, and apparently um, kill Sharabi. Still, the army says it can't entirely rule out that Sharabi was um, murdered by his captors, by Hamas. Um, but as of now, um, this is what the probe has found. And um, still, the investigation has shown that the, the strike was carried out according to protocol. Um, the the building that was actually targeted, there was intelligence that Hamas were planning an attack against IDF troops from. Um, and um, But the army has drawn some lessons to prevent similar uh, incidents occurring again. Um, in the same building, we know that there were two more hostages. There was Itai Sevirsky and Noah Argamani. Uh, Itai Sevirsky was also confirmed dead. Hamas have claimed as well he was killed in another Israeli strike, but uh, Israel says that uh, this is not uh, the case and that um, um, the, the current assessment is that he was actually murdered by Hamas um, uh, sometime after the, the strike uh, that killed uh, Sharabi and 
Nor Argamani is still believed to be alive. Let's turn our eyes to the north, where for two days in a row, huge barrages of rockets came from Lebanon late last week. And the rockets, of course, triggered rocket sirens in northern communities, which are, of course, mostly vacant because of tens of thousands of Israelis who are still displaced from their homes. My question is, were these strikes in retaliation to something specific? There was an attempt uh, on a top Hamas official, and there was also a previous attempt on a uh, on a top Hezbollah commander uh, in Lebanon in the last few days. Um, there was a there was a strike. The first one on uh, on Thursday targeted um, several Hezbollah members in a car. It's not yet clear whether or not the senior official um, who was named by media reports as Abbas Al Debas um, if he was killed or not. Um, Hezbollah have not yet announced uh, his death, but interestingly, after that strike, uh, we saw several heavy rocket barrages on uh, northern Israel. Um, Hezbollah claims it is targeting Israeli military bases, although rocket sirens sounded in several Israeli towns during these attacks. And then on uh, on Saturday, there was an attempt on a uh, top Hamas commander. And this was a strike that was much deeper in Lebanon um, than than we're used to. It was around 40 kilometers. It was uh, in the uh, coastal town of Jadra. Um, um, and in that strike, um, the target was uh, Basar Salah. He's a Hamas operative who's uh, charged with recruiting and managing uh, members of the terror group, uh, including in the West Bank. Um, and also in that case, we don't know yet if he was killed in the strike. It's possibly he was just wounded, uh, although three others, uh, three others, possibly Hezbollah members, were killed in that strike. So um, amid these new uh, sort of assassination attempts that are being attributed to Israel, we're seeing much heavier rocket barrages by Hezbollah on the north. There were some 30 rockets fired on Friday evening, uh, which was a day after a similar barrage. Um, no injuries, um, no significant damage that I'm aware of that were caused by these uh, rocket barrages. But we are still seeing everyday attacks by Hezbollah on northern Israel, and in some cases, these very large uh, rocket barrages. Just very quickly, Manny, there's a story that we came across uh, recently about a Bedouin Israeli who crossed into the Gaza Strip in 2016 and joined the Hamas terror group. And he has been indicted after IDF troops detained him in December, just a couple of months ago, as he was trying to cross back into Israel. This is such a strange story to me. Tell me more. It, this is a really wild story. Now, um, the suspect, who's known as uh, Juma Ibrahim Abu Ghanima, he crossed into the Gaza Strip in July 2016. This was uh, something we, we've known about. We even published it on the Times of Israel several years ago when this incident happened. But over the years, uh, his name has slowly disappeared from the list of the Israelis held in Gaza. We know that there's um, a number of civilians who are held in Gaza and, and very strangely, uh, every time Israeli officials make, made statements up until, of course, the October 7th attacks when uh, hundreds more were taken hostage, but until then, uh, Abu Ghanima was never mentioned uh, by Israeli officials. There were suspicions that he had joined Hamas, so he wasn't actually considered to be held by Hamas, but rather he had joined Hamas. Uh, now we know that he indeed did join Hamas uh, after entering the Gaza Strip in, in July 2016. 
According to the indictment, uh, he began uh, military training with Hamas shortly after, a few months after he had uh, jo- uh, entered Gaza. He was um, tasked with monitoring the border, so he had um, carried out surveillance operations. He provided uh, Hamas with uh, information on army bases in his area. He's from the northern Negev um, region. Um, and then there's a bit of a twist to the story. Um, in t- 2021, Abu Ghanima was jailed by Hamas. Um, apparently, according to the indictment, he failed to comply with various limitations that were imposed on him. Um, so he was in jail. And then during the uh, IDF's operation uh, in Gaza in response to the uh, October 7th attacks, um, the IDF carried out a strike uh, against the site that caused um, essentially a, a prison to collapse in Gaza where Abu Ghanima was held. He managed to escape the jail, uh, wandered around for a few days and then tried to cross back into Israel. And that's when Israel uh, arrested him uh, and took him for interrogation and then found out this entire uh, story. Uh, and now he has been, uh, as you mentioned, indicted for being a member of a terror group, providing uh, the terror group with information during war, um, et cetera, et cetera, various uh, security um, uh, offenses that he that he committed. Uh, really just a really crazy story, but um, it's it's now over. He's returned back to Israel, I suppose, um, although not a not a hostage. To be seen on Netflix in a couple of years. Okay, Manny, thank you so much for all of your updates today. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. Please check out another installment tomorrow. This episode was produced by the Podwaves. If you have any questions or comments about this or any other episode, please drop us an email to podcast at timesofisrael.com. Until tomorrow, shalom. Shalom.